This recording is from Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona. More information available at tempe.redemptionaz.com. To see you guys. Good to see you guys, Warrior Coats, too. Hey, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we get a chance to celebrate this day. We don't believe that this is just a normal Sunday. We happen to believe that this is uh, the Resurrection Sunday in which we remember the greatest uh, event ever in the history of the earth. I mean, we lose this as Christians. I mean, we kind of lose everything. There's no point of us being here. So we, we celebrate the resurrection with great joy. Um, if there's no resurrection, there's really no life for us. There's no reason why we should be here at 8.30 in the morning. There's really no reason why I have this tight choking me. Um, there, there's, there's no reason for any of these things, but Christ was raised by the Father, and so we celebrate, and we rejoice with one another, and we get an opportunity to do that this morning, and hearing from God's Word, primarily one of the most popular, uh, most quoted scriptures in the whole Bible, and so um, I almost want to say you don't need a Bible, because even if you've never been to church, you're like, John 3:16. yes, that's the one I know, right? And so but we're going to hand out Bibles. And so if you guys don't have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and raise your hand, um, and we can have someone give you a Bible. And if you own a Bible and you have it with you, go ahead and meet me in John chapter 3, verse 16. Again, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Keep it raised really high, and then one of the ushers will give you a copy of a Bible. And if you don't own one, keep the one that we're handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in a knowledge and an understanding of who Christ is. And so um, I want to be very, very clear because I know that this, this, this kind of, um, this, this verse is used so often, right? And it's not even used like people teaching it from a Bible. It's usually you watching a football game and then someone just holding up a sign that says John 3.16, right? And it's like, field goal, John 3.16. Commercial break, oh, wait, wait, John 3, all right, there we go. Now commercial break, right? And it's just kind of just thrown out there that sometimes I, I wonder if we fully understand what it really means, right? If we're not just confused or we just kind of got used to it. It's like, have you ever had that awkward experience where you're on the phone with somebody and you get off and you say the wrong thing, right? So like, I say different things to who I'm talking to. So I'm talking to somebody, I might say peace out, I might say see you later, I might actually say bye, um, and, or I love you. And so I'm talking to my wife, I might say I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And you get used to saying that, that sometimes you forget who it is that you're talking to right? And so talking to my wife and I say, I love you, that's good. She doesn't usually like when I'm like, all right, peace out, girl, right? She don't like that. <laughs> I love you, bye. All of a sudden, if I'm talking to Jason Raber, one of our pastors, I'm like, I love you. Ooh, <laughs> right? <laughs> Oops, <laughs> right? And then he's on the other end of it, whoever that person is, the other end is going like, I wonder, I wonder what they meant by that, uh, right? <laughs> And I wonder sometimes when it comes to John 3.16, if there's not people on the other side of it going, like, what do they mean by that? Like, this, this one verse that's kind of floating in the air. Like, what do they mean by that? And not just people who don't follow Jesus, people who are not Christians. I wonder even sometimes as Christians, if we looked at John 3.16 and thought, yeah, 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 I know that. So let's move on to something else. Let's, let's get into Romans or Leviticus or Ezekiel or something else that I don't know, Right? as opposed to John 3.16. And what I want to be able to do for us today is going on this Resurrection Sunday, let's look at this famous verse, and let's look why is it that Christians use this verse so much? Why is it that we want to repeat it? Why is it that we want people to know about it? Because it is the gospel in a nutshell that it talks about ultimately God's love for us. It is fundamentally about God. Easter is fundamentally about God. Christianity is about God. The gospel is about God. He is the center of which we draw our life and existence and meaning and value, etc. Ultimately in God, it's not about us. It's about his love for us. And so um, in looking at these 24 words, a short verse, here's a few things we're going to look at. One, 
It shows the affection of God and how he shows his affection towards us. Number two, it shows us his action, how he shows his love through action. He gives his son. And then number three, this invitation, and that is whoever believes. And we'll talk about that. And then lastly, this promise that we are promised in Christ eternal life. And so if you guys are with me, let's read it again here in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, here's what we have in the context of this. Um, that this, this verse didn't just kind of float out of the air. It actually is Jesus talking to somebody. In the beginning of chapter 3, what we have is there's this man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, meaning he's like the most religious you could possibly be in the Hebrew culture. Like if he were a part of our church right now, he would have been at the 7 o'clock, the 8.30, the 10, and the 11.30, holding babies and all types of stuff, right? Like he knew everything. He's an older man. He's a wiser man. And I know Nicodemus is not a popular name, so we'll just call him Old Man Nico, right? So (laughs) however religious that he is, he still has questions, and he still has doubts. Because I don't care how religious you are, you have questions and you have doubts. But he wasn't going to ask his friends. He wanted to go to Jesus because even though he thought he was on the right path and doing all the right things and following the Torah, that Jesus seemed to be holding out something new. And so he didn't come to Jesus with a group of people. He came later at night on a late night creep to Jesus to be able to ask a few questions. And Jesus begins to talk to him and he says, hey, you know, you can't receive the kingdom of God or eternal life. You can't receive eternal life unless you are born again. And that's where that phrase even born again comes from. Unless you are born again. Now, what Nicodemus didn't understand is that Jesus was talking about spiritual things, but he was thinking in the physical or the natural. And he says, Jesus, I, do you want me to be born again? Like, you want me to go back into my mother and then be born again? And Jesus is like, no, um, she wouldn't like that, and that's gross, right? <laughs> what he's saying is, he says, it's the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. And then being a Pharisee, old man Nico understands Moses. Like, you can't be Hebrew in this time and not understand Moses. So Jesus goes, do you remember the story when Moses, when the people of God had the plague, and, and they, were, they, were, they were because of their sin, and God said, here's how I'm going to heal them. I want you to take this bronze serpent and then put it in the air, and anybody who looks to it in faith in me, I will heal them. And how all the people who looked up to the bronze serpent got healed, he goes, I'm actually going to be lifted up. I'm going to be resurrected. And every single person that looks to me in faith, will be healed, will be saved, will be redeemed, will be restored. And then he gets in this, and he begins to show this affection. And he says, so God so loved the world, the first point there, as he shows his affection. Affection is not a word that we really describe God with. Because when it says, for God, we, we can't even get to the rest of John 3, 16 unless we begin to understand who is this God, right? Not even for, just go, God, who is God? Because we have a lot of understanding about God or who we think God is, um, the many gods. Or, but what about the God of the Bible? Who does he say that he is? Right? So this word God here is theo, which means father. At best, we may relate to God as father. But even when we do, there's usually one of two ways that happens. One, we go, yeah, God is like a father. And basically, he, we treat him like we treat particular dads that maybe we had. He's, he's, he's right all the time, and whatever he wants to do, he could do, and I'm going to follow his rules, I'm going to follow his ways, and I'm going to keep in line because I don't want him to be upset with me, right? I don't want to be in trouble. I don't want him to come from work and get crazy on me. So I'm going to clean up my room, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. Not because you really have relationship with him. You just hope if I do all the right things, he may not be mad at me, or maybe he might love me if I do these right things. And we have this view of God. 
that he's kind of this capricious God that's up there. This, he's got this divine belt that he's waiting for us to come home and be like, boy, you're going to get it, right? And so we have that view about God. Or you have another view of he's father. I don't like his rules. I don't want to follow his rules. And so, so whenever you get the opportunity, you leave him, and you do your own thing. Um, however, um, though it says here that God is a father, that's not the type of God we have. We need to understand who this God is and what he's doing, because we'll relate to him sometimes as judge, and if he's judge, right, we think that he's just waiting for us to come into the room and go, guilty for your sin. And the Bible does give us a biblical view that he is, he's a judge. Or what we think is he's the divine police, right? He's the divine police officer that's just hiding around waiting for us to speed or something so that he can put on his holy lights and then follow us and be like, I got you, right? And here's the reality. If, if, if he is just enforcing the law, and think about it. If you've ever had a police officer pull you over and he's let you go, right? Some of us have had that experience. Some of us haven't, but some of us have had that experience before <laughs> where, where they let you go. I hear. <laughs> and so what happens is when that police officer lets you go, if, if, if that's what salvation is about, then salvation is basically, okay, good, I'm off the hook. You don't want a relationship with that cop. You're like, hey, what's your name? I'm going to write songs about you. We're going to get together. I'm going to put a tie on. Like, yeah, like, that's not going to happen. And so that can't be it. It can't just be that. But then we'll go, okay, well, what about creator? God's a creator, and he creates beautiful things. Very, very biblical. But think about this. Until there was something, a law to be enforced, God was not enforcing law. He was not a judge. Until he actually created, he, he didn't become a creator. But the God of the Bible has always existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has no beginning. He has no end. And so what was he doing before he even created? And what we understand about God is that God has always had a son. And because the Father has always had a son, that means he has been doing something for all eternity, and that is he's been loving. And this particular love, this supreme love, has no beginning and it has no end. It is everlasting love. And so when we first relate to God as Father, that for God love, the reason why it's affection is because this love is a perfect love. That this love that we have is we see that God is a lover. And he doesn't love because the son performs. He loves him because he's his son. Now, if you're a parent, you understand that at some level. You, you, you know what it's like for someone to completely rob your affections immediately, right? I, I'm not even going to pretend what it's like for, for a woman to uh, have a baby because I've never done that before. Thank goodness God didn't make me like that. Um, however, as soon as the baby is born for dads, it's immediately. Like, we used to hear about this baby in the womb, and we gave him a name, and they would show us pictures, and I'm like, still looks like science, right? <laughs> <laughs> then, then, as soon as the baby comes out, what do you say? I love this baby. I love this little lizard little baby. <laughs> like, I, lo I, I love him. I love him. Why does he look like that? <laughs> Immediately, you love him. Right? And when it comes to God so loving the world, he's not saying he loved the world when the world grew up. <laughs> he's not saying he loved the world when the world figured it out. He loves us. And we see this. And oftentimes you hear people say, well, that's the God of the New Testament. No, no. God is God. In fact, one of the beautiful uh, languages of love that we hear about in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy chapter 7, where God talks to the people of Israel and he goes, I didn't choose you because you were more than number. In fact, you were the least of people. He goes, I, 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 didn't, I didn't set my love on you because of what you can do for me. He says, I loved you because I loved you. That's it. 
And, and, and I look at that and go, that's how I try to parent my kids. Every time I look at my boys, I go, listen, why do I love you? They'll naturally say, because I can. No, no, no. Why do I love you? I want them to say, because you love me. Because I want to love them in some way, an imperfect way, the way God loves us. So where we start at is ultimately in 1 John, when it's we love God because he first loved us. But let's ask the other question. Why does he love us to begin with? And what we understand is he loves us because that's what he's always been doing. And that creation in itself was an overflow of that love to create a context of which he would create people to experience the same intensity and love that Jesus has always had. That even when we sin, that redemption in itself is God on that mission to pursue us that we may receive that love. And so the question is not, does God love you? It's, do you love this God who happens to love you? The question isn't, does God want to pursue me? Do you want to pursue this Jesus, this God that is Father, who wants to pursue you? Because what we see in this affection is that God is saying, I've created this world to have relationship with people in a loving way that's affectionate because that's first and foremost who God is and how he relates to his people he loves. Amen? So the first point here is, this, so God so loved the world. That's the people. That's everybody. That's why we sing the songs. He likes everybody. He loves everybody. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You know what? He also loves those children when they grow up, and they're not as cute anymore. They go from lizards to dinosaurs, right? <laughs> that that he, he still loves. The second point here is not just his affection, but also his action, right? Because if Jesus is a lover, if he's a lover and God is a lover, what we have is um, he's, he's a lover, and we have that phrase in our culture, I'm a lover, not a fighter, right? People say that. Usually that means you just get beat up a lot. <laughs> to love means you got to fight. You fight for what you love. You will always fight. If anybody tries to attack or defame anything or a person that you love, you go after it. Like growing up as kids, nobody can make fun of your mother. No, no. They can make fun of your mother, but if they made fun of your mama, it was all bad. <laughs> like your mother, whatever. But your mama, it's like, whoa, what, what's going on now? What's going on? When you love, you'll fight. And you'll show something. And the way, that G, the way God shows his love for us is that he gives his son. Here's what he says here. For God to love the world, that's his effect, affection, that he gave his only son. That word gave means he offered up his son. But he says, here's how I'm going to show you my love. This is how I'm going to fight for you. Because there's something that has us. And it's a grip. And the trap that has us is a rather large trap called sin, which leads to death. And that God so loves us and doesn't want death wrapped around us, that he so loves us, that he doesn't want sin to continue to permeate our hearts, that he so loves us, that he wants to come and redeem us. And so the only way that that could possibly happen, if that happens, ultimately, by giving Jesus, by giving his son. And, and, and think about this, okay? I've never, I don't, have, I don't have girls. I have two boys. I think God's been good to me. And so, and, and part, part of it is, I've lately have wanted a girl. And I'm like, man, I think I kind of want to see my friends with their little girls and how girls react. And I don't love my boys. I love my boys, but they're, they're different. And, and then I thought, no, maybe God knows that I probably shouldn't have a girl. Because if I had a girl, I would have all sorts of rules. Like the Old Testament law would have nothing on the rules I would have. And then the ultimate rule would be, you're not allowed to date until you get married. And she goes, well, Dad, I can't. Well, oh, well. <laughs> oh, well, sorry for you right? <laughs> who wants to give, I mean, like, even when it comes to marriage, who wants to give their, their daughter's hand away, right? That's, that's hard. You don't trust this dude, right? I don't know you. You've invested all these years into her, and now this, this, little, this, little, this little dude comes around. It's like, 
It's like, no, I'll just hand you to Jesus. That's it, right? So, so um, I remember that, that awkward conversation you go through when you're going to ask your, your, your father-in-law's hand, your, not his hand, um, that's not what you do, um, for his daughter's hand. And so I'm sitting down for breakfast. I, I'm supposed to take my father-in-law out to breakfast, but he ends up paying for it, which I didn't complain. And then, and then I, I start talking like, hey, I think I want to marry Holly. And he goes, oh, that's where this is going. Let's take some walks. We walked and walked and walked and walked. And I knew it because he's just like, this is, this is it. Like, my little girl, I'm giving away to this guy. And I was probably the most unlikely guy for Holly to marry. I mean, her dad told her, being from Northern California, do not ever bring home a Laker, Raider, or a Dodger fan. <laughs> Me being Christian, I'm all three. <laughs> so, <laughs> but he has to give the hand away, right? Like, even, and that's into a covenant. And the covenant, we have a symbol for that covenant, and that's a ring. That's a ring that we have, and you get married. But what God does in Jesus is far more than that. Because a covenant that he has to enter into is a covenant that is not a symbol of his ring, but it's his blood. It's his life. That he gave Jesus ultimately to be a substitute, to do what we could not do, to live the life that we, we were supposed to live, but we couldn't, to die the death that we should have died, but we don't have to, to be raised from the dead, that we may have life, that we may have life with him abundantly. And I just want to break that down, why and how Jesus becomes that substitute for us. For one, I think many of us might understand that he's a death substitute. You've heard Jesus Christ has died for my sins. That means he's a death substitute, the penalty of your sin, that God takes the wrath of that, and he places it solely upon Jesus. That's what we remember on a Good Friday, that Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. What's finished? All the debt of sin that we, the world owed is finished by faith in Jesus. So he takes our death. What we don't always understand is that he's also a life substitute in which we need that as well. Because God required righteousness and right living of which we still didn't have. So think about it. Adam and Eve in the garden, they were essentially on probation. I don't know if you guys know what probation is because you never got in trouble with anything. But um, probation is, yeah, you're free, but, but, but if you do this again, you're locked up. So Adam and Eve, even though it was in the cool of the day and they were before God and they were, they were exposed before one another, there was a big if. If you do this, death will come. We're now in Christ Jesus because he's a life substitute. There's no if. He's done for us, even in his righteousness, what we could not do for ourselves. That God accepts his life on our behalf, not just his death, but his moral record on our behalf. The reason why Christianity is not about morality, Christianity is about people who have need and Jesus who meets that need. And so he becomes for us this, re this redeemer. And, and it's good news for us because sometimes we think, no, no, God is the God of second chances. Listen, he's not the God of second chances. We didn't need another chance. We needed salvation. Because given infinite chances, we wouldn't have got it, right? If God gave us the code, he says, this is what I want you to do. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, select, start. I'll give you infin infinite lives, right? And you, you would not. Those of you guys who grew up in the 90s who knew about video games, you just, you got that. You got that. Those of you guys did, you guys fake laughed. You just fake laughed. <laughs> and so, so there, there, there is a sense where we thought if we had more chances, no, no, we needed a Savior, and that's why he gave us Jesus. And then we have his resurrection. And here's what his resurrection means to us among many things, is that we have the promise of new life. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had the opportunity to sin, and they did, leaving us now in this life with no opportunity but to be sinners. However, through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, the firstborn of the creation, 
that in the new heavens and new earth, when we were fully redeemed, fully restored, we won't even have the possibility that we won't have bodies that have inclinations to sin. We won't be tempted. It just won't be. We can't even fathom what that would look like, but that is promised to us because of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. It's his action to say, I will fight for you. And we see God's love through this. See, old man Nico, remember, he's the one who's having this conversation with Jesus. And he's hearing about God's affection, how he so loved the world, that he gave his son. And if you're a Hebrew person, you realize you don't give your son for anything. Your son, especially your only son, that's important. And it has to make him jump back into the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. How God had promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And through your son, I'm about, to, I'm about to do some things through your son. In fact, I'm going to redeem the world through this family. And Abraham has his son, and Isaac, he names him Isaac. And Isaac grows up, and God shows up and goes, hey, man, I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham's like, Huh? And so he goes up on the mountain and says, okay, maybe God can raise him from the dead. And he straps his son down and he raises the dagger. And, and my assumption is Isaac is like, dad, dad, right? And then before he brings on the dagger, God goes, stop, 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 stop. Man, take this ram. I'm in the thicket. Go ahead and slaughter it. He goes, you know what, Abraham? Now I know you love me because you didn't withhold your son, your only son, the one whom you loved. Okay, now what, what Nicodemus could see is he can look at Jesus and go, wait a minute, now I know God loves me. We can, look, we can look at Jesus and say, now we know God loves us. Because unlike Abraham, who was willing to allow his son to die, God himself allowed it. Unlike Abraham, who raised a dagger, God himself allowed it to go down. And now we can look at God and say, now I know you love me because you didn't withhold your son, your only son, the one in whom you loved. That if you want to know the love language of God, it's Jesus. You want to know God? It's Jesus. You want to have life abundantly? It's Jesus. You want to have forgiveness of sins? It's Jesus. You want full joy? It's Jesus. The way you know God, it is through his son, Jesus. And he's the father, so loved us, and the son so loves us, that he gave himself that we may have life. And so we see it as his action. That is a response to his affection. And then he gives us this invitation meaning who can get in on this? And I love this. It's probably, this, after understanding his affection and his action, this invitation of God is probably the best part here. He says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes, and I love that, because literally, if you look it up in the Greek, whoever means whoever, right? <laughs> Straightforward, right? Whoever, whoever believes, meaning anybody, there, there, there's not anybody here who cannot believe in Jesus. Meaning, it's not on God's part. It, it, it completely on your volition and your, your desire to choose him, but it's not on his desire to love you. It's that anybody can believe in him. So he's not checking your credit score. He's not checking your Myers-Briggs, like, ah, there's too many of you in here. I gotta get some more of these type of people in here. He's not checking any of those things. He's looking at his son and saying, anybody who trusts in you, anyone who believes in you, and believes this means you trust. And so, so what that means is it's, it's God loves us, has affection for us. He's always loved us. It was his desire to create, knowing we would sin, that we would share in the love of Christ. He loves us. He gives us son. We believe and actions flow from there. It's not the other around. It's not our actions that flow up to us under, understanding Jesus and then knowing that God loves us. God loves us. It's already on the table. It's a gift. We just receive it. We receive it like a gift. We don't receive it like gifts like adults. Adults do not receive good gifts well. 
We don't. If somebody gives you something that's amazing, you go, oh, you shouldn't have, oh, what should, um, next year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make this up. And we want to make it up to them. Please, I, I got you a cup of coffee. You got me an espresso maker. This is not fair, right? Uh, let, me, let me do something for you. Kids, they don't care, right? <laughs> Kids are like, thank you. <laughs> like they just walk away. They enjoy it. Like they, stay, they just enjoy it. Here, here, when it says whoever believes, you never pay God back for this. You can't pay God back for this. It's a gift. It's something that you open up and you receive it and you say thank you. you he loves you already. He's given you his son, Jesus. And then your life and transformation flows from his life and him transforming you. Your love flows from his love. Your duty flows from his duty. Your obedience flows from his obedience. And it's whoever would believe. Now, if you're like me, you're going, yeah, but I heard that before, and it still hasn't clicked, right? Like it, like it hasn't clicked. I remember growing up going, yeah, I heard Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I've heard that, but it didn't click. It's like the junior high kid who shows up the junior high for the first time, and you're all excited because um, lockers. And it's like, oh, I got a locker, ooh. <laughs> and they give you a code, um, and you're trying to figure that mug out, and you're like, wait, is it two times to the left? Is it, uh-oh, warning bell, uh-oh, <laughs> right? And the kid's just sitting there trying to figure out. He knows the code. Jesus Christ died for my sins, and whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. I know that, but it hasn't clicked. And, then, and the pressure is coming down on him because the time is ticking. And all of a sudden, the best feeling is that <laughs> it opened, right? And whatever he needs from inside that locker, whatever he needs to put in the locker, now he knows how to access that. He knows now. It's not just a code. He actually knows how it works. Some of us, we need it to click. That we know Christ has died for our sins. That the love of God has to move something from abstract to concrete. That the life of Christ has to move from something that is good for somebody else that it actually really is good for me. That the message that I hear is not, oh man, somebody else should have heard this, but man, God is speaking to me. That I might be a whoever. And, and when, you, when you have that moment and it clicks, you realize the God of this universe has been patient with me. He's been kind with me, and ultimately, so that I may repent and realize I am a part of the whoever. It doesn't matter who I am or where I've done or what I think I'm going to do or who I think I am. It's ultimately who I am now in Jesus because of his affection to God. The Father loves me. He sends his son Jesus in his action, and he's invited me to know him. And then he gives this beautiful promise, this beautiful promise here. And here's what he says. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever, literally whoever, which I love that, whoever, I don't care who you are, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Um, many of us are not people who are waiting in the waters of Jesus, expecting him to replenish us, understanding his grace and his love. But we are born in this world swimming fast downstream in the waters of sin, and its current is taking us, ultimately, whose waterfall is death and perishing. Um, you, you, you don't try for that. that. That happens. And the constant rejection of this gift, trying to pay it, pay it back through religion, or just avoiding it altogether, doesn't help the fact that there is a cliff, and that cliff is called death. And yet God holds out eternity. And so there's a hell to shun, and there's a heaven to be gained. And he's saying, here's the promise. Anyone who believes, not in themselves, anyone who rests in the finished work of Christ will not perish, 
but will have eternal life. You see, perishing is like feeling the weight of sin on you and not knowing what to do with it. I'm feeling like, okay, not that I've just done wrong, but like something's not right here and still trying to carry it. And many of us find ourselves in that situation. Um, Jesus is saying there's a way in which he redeems and he plucks you out of the water. Like here's what we've, we've learned before in Christianity, and I used to hear this, and, and this bothers me, and if you've said this before, you don't bother me, but don't say it again, um, <laughs> is, is, is a, Jesus is a, is a gentleman, and he stands at the door and he knocks. And the, the, the picture is from Revelation, it talks about him staying at the door and knock, but that has nothing about evangelism, that, what that's talking about. And the picture is he's in there, and if you don't open the door, that's on you. He's not going to just come into your life. Um, He's not a gentleman, guys. He's God. He does whatever he wants. Um, And he does whatever he wants out of love. I would not sit at my kid's door and knock. I kick the door in. (laughs) Now, now, let's take this metaphor further. Um, The metaphor assumes that we are alive in the house and doing okay. But what the Bible talks about of the condition of the human heart is we're dead inside the house and it's burning. We don't need a gentleman. We need a savior. We need someone to rescue us. God kicks down the, court, the door, and he resuscitates us. And he does this through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, of every single person who believes in him, and he gives life. And the life that he gives is the best life possible in God's eyes. That eternal life is not about duration so much, about how long we're going to live and how many Christian songs we can sing. Thank goodness, right? (laughs) Eternal life is about the quality of life in Christ. Eternal life does not begin when we die and go to heaven. Eternal life is heaven coming to us by Christ through his spirit that we begin to live the best life possible, no longer drawing from the recesses of our own soul, but drawing deep from the life of God himself in us by the spirit. That invitation stands as a promise that is banking on the life of Christ. Every single Christian banks on the life of Christ. If you are a Christian and you find yourself going, I'm not banking on the life of Christ, then you are a whoever who needs to trust and believe in Jesus afresh. And if you're not a Christian and you're saying, I've never believed in it, listen, then you need to believe in the waters of Jesus because the currents of sin always lead in death. But the way of God is rescuing and redeeming and promising eternal life. Many of us think, but if I became a Christian, there's so much more fun I have not being a Christian. My desires and things are just so different than Christians. I feel like Christians are really lame and they're just anti-fun. And, and I said, you know what, there's some of those people who are like that who are Christian, but a lot of people who are not Christian are lame and anti-fun as well. So that's not it. Um, in fact, C.S. Lewis talks about our desires are actually too weak. In this quote, he says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but the opposite, too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of the holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, right? So many of us are just okay with mud pies. We're going, mud pies, when Jesus is saying, he himself is eternal life. To know him and know God, it's a vacation at the sea. Your desires are actually far too weak, and that's why they're easily satisfied. You know, C.S. Lewis says this. I'm going to close with this. C.S. Lewis says this is that when we find in ourselves desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, 
the most probable explanation is, I must be made for another world. That other world is namely Jesus Christ. It's resting in him. It's realized you yourself have been traveling, but never really arriving. You've been trying to get somewhere, but you don't really know where somewhere is. Christianity is not about climbing up the ladder and reaching to God. Ultimately, Christianity is about how God has climbed down the ladder to receive us, to take us, to make us new, to give us life in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the good gift of your love. We thank you for the invitation that anybody who trusts in you may have eternal life. We thank you for this great day in which we remember that our faith is secured. God, the confidence of the gospel, the good news, that you lived a life that we couldn't have lived, Lord, but you did it on our behalf, and that you died the death that we should have died, but we don't have to, and that, God, you accept us freely because of the work of Christ. Lord, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your work. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the family of God through the church. Um, God, we thank you so much, Lord, that we have life and we have it abundantly. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.